The following podcast contains alcohol-enhanced conversations about alcohol, as well as a potential for discussions about other topics of dubious, disturbing, possibly offensive, but usually hilarious interest. The opinions stated herein are solely of the person stating them, and any endorsement of these opinions by any other party is not implied. Foul language is likely, but intolerant viewpoints are not. Listener intoxication is advised. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Ed. Tonight we're getting back to basics. No guests, no crazy cocktails, no fucking thunder sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> no crazy lists. Yeah. Just two guys drinking good, strong American whiskey right. and talking about it. And uh, delving into a style of American whiskey that we feel that we've given short shrift, mm. given how much we love it, and really haven't talked about much in depth since our very first episode, and that's rye whiskey. So toward that end, tonight we have two different expressions of rye whiskey from two different distilleries that are actually each blends of two different rye mash bills. And Ed, as always, is here to get us started by telling you which whiskeys we chose. Right. Thanks, Scott. So first of all, we have what I call the challenger of the group from a company called High West Double Rye. Exclamation point. Double Rye, exclamation point. It's That's like on the bottle. It's like they're shouting at you. They're shouting double rye. Double rye! <laughs> 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 Sorry. And um, it's interesting. We have honestly drank a lot of High West over the years. Yeah. And over this year, too. And we've really, I mean, we mentioned it. We definitely we, yeah, mentioned it. We definitely mentioned High West But products. we haven't really got into the distillery and what they do. Right. And they're a very interesting story. And so High West does a double rye, which basically makes the two ryes. That's why it's double rye. Mm-hmm. And then the other one that we're putting against two is from a very, very talented distillery, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Lovely and talented. What is popularly known as the Willet Distillery but is actually known under the name of Kentucky Bourbon Distillers. But it's the Willett Family Estate four-year rye. It's only aged four years. And I don't know how they do it because it is absolutely spectacular. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. We were exposed to this at a whiskey tasting that we went to at the local lounge in Mount Holly, mm-hmm. near where we live and where Scott and I are members. We mentioned it and we will continue to mention it until you guys either go there or hate us for it. <laughs> If you haven't gone to this... Oh, wait. I said we weren't going to do... Right. Random belligerence yeah. anymore. Sorry. That's a lie. He will do it. <laughs> My chair is squeaking. I need to get some oil. Do you have WD-40? Do you want me to oil your stool? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> it's all coming apart. I have an apartment. I don't have any oil. Can't I, you go out to the garage? I got <laughs> I got olive oil. Hmm. That might actually work. It might make your stool soft. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm just... You know what? Let's just go with the squeak for now. So... You just rolled over that. Make your stool soft. Come on. Ah, I missed it. Oh, shit. Anyway. Okay. So we went to a tasting at the lounge featuring Willet Distillery products. Five expressions, all high quality, complex flavored whiskeys. I enjoyed every single one of them and I was actually very surprised. This Willet Rye was the first one that we tasted, and I'd never even heard of it, and I fell in love. It immediately entered my top five whiskeys of all time. I'm right there with you. Yeah. 
Now, it's not cheap. Yeah, how much you get it for? 60 bucks. 60 bucks. 63 something with tax, if you can find it. Um, I went to um, Joe Canal's down in Rio Grande. Give them a shout out because they keep a nice whiskey selection. And they're pretty reasonable for being near the shore. And I go in there and I see a spot for Willet Rye on the shelf, but there's nothing there. So I get this guy and I'm like, hey, I, I want the Willet Rye. And he goes, you want the Willet Rye? I go, yeah, I want, I want to buy the Willet Rye. The Willet family estate, right? Yeah, that's what I want, man. He goes, all right, it might be in the back. We don't keep it out here. But they have a space for it on the shelf huh? that they're not using for something else. That's very strange. So the guy comes out. He's got the bottle in his hand. I'm excited. There it is. This bottle right here. Yep. Okay. He reaches it out to me. I go to grab it, and he snaps it back like, you're going to buy it, right? You want it. What? Like, like I was standing in his driveway at a yard sale or something. Like, he was afraid I was going to snatch it and run out of the store. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever Literally heard. Literally pulled it back from me, like, bent his elbow back towards his ear, like, no, you're going to buy it, right? And I'll, yeah, <laughs> I, I asked you to go get it. The guy was twice as fast as me, let me put it that way. He was twice as fast as I am. He could have caught me and tackled me four to five times before I got out. Like, I don't know if he thought I was just going to slam it to the ground and shatter it like I was some type of, like, domestic terrorist when it comes to whiskey. I mean, for a $60 bottle, there are probably much more expensive whiskeys that they had It wasn't like he was giving me, like, the, you know, the boss hog up there, like, here you go, $500. It was like a $60 bottle. There was $60 on the shelf behind it, Scott. You're exactly right. You could have grabbed four of anything and just... Uh, Just right. It was very strange. It was kind of funny, but it really, to me kind of highlighted how rare Willet products are in the Northeast. Yeah. So, so let's taste it first, and I'll talk more about the company. All right. We have our neat glasses out. Start on the nose. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, it's 109.8 proof. Is that what it is? Yeah. I'm not getting a whole lot off the nose. Cinnamon? Yeah. Even in the neat glass, I'm getting a lot of alcohol, which is very strange. I'm getting, what are you getting? spicy in my nose, like almost like a little peppery. They always say baking spices, and I don't know what that really means. Yeah, like cinnamon a, a and nutmeg, clove, and, nutmeg, yeah. all those, yeah. I'm smelling alcohol, but the alcohol is not burning my nose. The flavor no. is. But I will say this. The smell kind of reminds you that this is a four-year-old product, all right? It's still pretty young. Yeah. Right. But somehow it doesn't translate when we sip it let me sip it right now Mm. (laughs) it is definitely strong strong very sweet on the lips oh my god the flavor is so dense hints of cherry almost like a burnt vanilla uh maybe some uh like creme brulee yeah like the top of a creme brulee like when it's burnt it's sweet but yet there's like a bite to it does that make sense yeah like burnt sugar oh my god it is really well balanced like the the alcohol is so mixed in like it literally doesn't burn at a hundred 109? Yeah, it's funny. The uh, website says 55%, which would be 110 proof, but the bottle says 54.9. Well, they're perfectionists there. Oh, oh, this is pretty awesome, actually. So what their website says, on the nose, uh, a beautiful layering of brandied cherry Mm -hmm. over a mildly tart cherry. It opens up with time and is reminiscent of cutting into your dessert with your fork, which Mm -hmm. releases cinnamon and baking spices Mm -hmm. with just a hint of oak to remind you that this is high proof youthful. Wow. Wow. that, That was amazing we just parroted well because yeah because we drink a lot of whiskey exactly maybe we're getting better at this uh on the palate uh, a robust rye with dark cherry okay burnt vanilla oh and spices for days it's a delicious rye with a weighty mouthfeel a weighty mouthfeel <laughs> we- yeah i love that exactly what i'm feeling exactly it just stays it's it's all over and then it says insanely well balanced with the alcohol so perfectly integrated at 115 proof you'll forget it's there mm. but you'll find yourself smiling more and happier <laughs> with each dram well i certainly do i am telling you right now will it you've made a product here that i wish your a distillery was twice the size that it is if you're so rare and you can make it in four years 
And listen to the finish. It's long and the spices dominate while the cherry does punch its way through to the surface. Punch its way through to the surface. I mean, it does. I mean. It legitimately does. It is one of the longest finishing whiskeys that I've ever had. $60 a bottle, but you don't need as much of this no. as the average whiskey. Right. You pour yourself two ounces of this. Get yourself a cigar. Go sit outside. Look at a mountain or look at the water. And it can last you an hour. I mean, I'm starting to get a little burn in my throat because I'm drinking quite a bit of it kind of quickly right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. tasting it, but uh, let's pour it on it's the rocks. not the way. Yeah, let's go on the rocks with it. It's not the way you need to drink it. While we let it sit, yeah. let's talk about the other whiskeys and maybe the food pairings that we did at the tasting. Yeah. So the, the first round was the Willet Rye. That we're enjoying right now. Right. I remember looking at each other going, oh, oh my fuck. God, it's like, is this how the night's going to be? Like, yeah. And then Scott correctly said, I think they gave us the best one first. Yeah. So they had food there as well. And they paired it with a Cajun cheese balls on toasted crostini with sriracha mayo dipping sauce. Yeah. It was good to get something in our stomach with 110 proof spirit. Yeah. And disregarding the dessert, which we'll talk about later, I think this was also the best food. It was delicious. And it was a great choice to start with because yeah. they were pretty dense and you got some cheese and bread in you. And it was nice to have that as our base. Yeah. So the second one was the Kentucky XO bourbon. Right. That was paired with the sauteed Cajun shrimp with polenta cakes. The third whiskey that we got was the Rowan's Creek, which I'd actually had before, but maybe only once. I had it also before, and I, it's 101.1 proof. Yeah. I mean- Wait, we didn't say the proof of the Kentucky XO. That was a high one too, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's correct. That was 107. So we went from like 110 to 107 to now 101. Right. And this is named for the creek that runs through the distillery. Right. This was paired with chicken jambalaya, which these are all spicy things to go with their, Right. So their it was high a cage, proof Right. Stuff. Cajun food was the theme. So- uh, the four Fourth one was Noah's Mill bourbon. So Noah's Mill is actually an old historical mill that's on the property. And it actually is on Rowan's Creek. Right. This is 114 proof. (laughs) 114.3 proof. Yeah. And I have to tell you, we paired that with a poor boy chicken sandwich on some like crusty Italian bread. And Mm. it was just what we needed because this was a dense whiskey yeah noah's mill once again very similar to the rye that we're drinking right now you don't need a lot of it it's like the bourbon counterpart to the rye right there's a lot of product that doesn't make it out of kentucky all right so the true story is this we couldn't get willard in new jersey for quite a few years now let me back up i'm gonna back up so willard actually got out of the whiskey business during the 1970s energy crisis the company switched from producing whiskey to producing ethanol for gasohol fuel that strategy soon failed though when gas prices came back down down, oh, and wow. those facilities were completely shut down in the 80s. Colesveen purchased the company and the property on July 1st, 1984, and renamed the company Kentucky Bourbon Distillers. And for some time, KDB continued to produce bourbon from the aging barrels that the World Distillery Company had produced before they stopped distilling. So they still had these old barrels rather laying around. So from 84 on, it's still a family-run business. Now, a different family than the one that originally started, but it's still family-run. And I think that's what makes it really interesting. The Willis family... Traces the roots back to 1674 London when Edward Willett was an apprentice to learn the pewter trade. He had his own master mark, so that he was a master pewterer. So the Willets first called Prince George County, Maryland as their home near Washington, D.C. And then uh, they eventually moved to Kentucky when it became a state around 1790s. And jump ahead on almost 100 years later, in 1883, Aloysius Lambert Willett, who went by Lambert, was born in Bardstown, Kentucky, where the distillery still is. Mm-hmm. And he went to the Kentucky Bourbon 
business at the age of 15, served in a lot of distilleries across the state, didn't start his own, but was working. And eventually in 1909, Aloysius Lambert Thompson Willett, who went by Thompson, was born in Bardstown, Kentucky, and he became the founder and president of Willett Distillery in Bardstown. So since that time, around, let's say, 1930, the Willett family broke ground on the distillery, and three short years after the repeal of Prohibition, they were in business. Jumping ahead, 1940, Willett introduced the old Bardstown, Kentucky Street Bourbon Whiskey, which was their flagship for a very long time. They eventually, their 100,000 barrel was sealed in 1960. So in 20 years, they made a lot of old Bardstown. So I guess you could say they're what you really think about when you think of a Kentucky bourbon whiskey distillery. You know, they produce what they produce. They don't want to expand. They don't need to. We make enough whiskey. We make enough money. Now, 2008 is when Willett Family Estate Bourbon and Rise were introduced. So there's a Willett Family Estate bottled bourbon, Scott, that we have never tried. And that came out in 2008 with the rye and the Willet Pot Still Reserve. So they really reinvented and redefined themselves a little over 10 years ago. And I'm going to tell you right now, they did an amazing job. And that when you mentioned the Willet Pot Still was the fifth one in the tasting. Right. And that was paired with probably the Mm. best dessert that I've had in decades. It was a brioche bread pudding with whiskey-soaked raisins and a caramel whiskey sauce. uh, Actually, Scott and I argued whether there was whiskey in the caramel sauce. He says there was, so I'm going with it. Ariel said there was whiskey in it. All right. If she did, we will find out which one of us is right. (laughs) We will find out. we will talk to her. She's the pastry chef at the uh, local. And and we'll be a guest on a future podcast. If we can talk her into it. Oh, she doesn't want to do it? No, she hasn't said no or yes. I I can't comment that she's doing it until she says she's doing it. No, she's doing it. I can't help myself. I'm sorry. She's a delightful person, Scott. Jeez. And now you're now she's not going to come because you're being so brusque. Ariel, if you're listening, I promise not to be belligerent when you're here. <laughs> She's always listening eventually. She's one of our biggest fans. She is. She hearts everything we do. And we heart her back. So that was the tasting. Right. Before we get on to the high west, let's take one more taste of the... Yeah. Now that it's been on the ice and it's melted a bit. Ooh, I get like a lot of caramel sweetness and toffee. uh, Toffee. Oh my God, yeah. It's probably proofed it down to around the 90 mark now. and uh, It's like Ariel's caramel whiskey sauce now. <laughs> so delicious. Nothing's that good, but it's well, damn close. I mean, th- this is one that I enjoy drinking it neat, but it's right at the cusp of being too high of a proof to do so. So putting some water in and ice in it, as we said many times, it brings out so many flavors. It, it does mellow out the alcohol flavor, and it's spectacular either way. If you enjoy high proof spirits, then this is one you want to drop the eye drop of like six or eight drops of water in just to open up the flavor if 110 is a little too hot for you throw it on a globe you don't want to water it down too quickly but i like my whiskey chilled so i actually started mine on a globe today yeah my mini globe melted it's fucking fantastic Mm -hmm. all right so that's our willet tasting that we had and our delicious willet rye that we're enjoying so let's shift gears, Scott, and let's talk about Rise as a whole real quick. And I feel like, why so late to the party? Yeah, we talked a little bit about this in episode eight 
which focused on the founding father's relationship with whiskey and more broadly how whiskey got to America in the first place. And it was the Scotch-Irish immigrants who settled here in the 1700s began distilling whiskey to continue their tradition. But with one crucial difference, they had to use rye instead of the barley that they normally would have used because it didn't fare well in the warmer North American climate. Right. What we didn't mention in that episode was that there were two states where the Scotch-Irish settled the most and where they did the most distilling, and that was Pennsylvania and Maryland. So in Pennsylvania, the style was known as Monongahela rye, which is named after the river in whose valley it was first made, and whose aging was somewhat of an accident because the necessary storing and travel time meant that the whiskey might be two years or older by the time it finally reached its destination. Nice. Maryland style of rye actually mixed more corn into the mash and made it sweeter and easier to drink. So I wonder when Sagamore finally brings their own product to market, if it's going to mimic that or not. Right. So during the revolution, Caribbean rum, which had been widely available before, suddenly wasn't because of England's naval blockade, leaving a vacuum in the spirit world that was filled not only by the corn-heavy bourbon from Kentucky, but also the rye whiskey being distilled by the Scots-Irish in Pennsylvania and Maryland. In 1810, Kentucky made 2.2 million gallons of bourbon, but... Pennsylvania made 6.5 million gallons, which is nearly three times as much. Because rye whiskey was less palatable than, say, uh, bourbon, scotch, and Irish whiskeys, people began to make cocktails with it. So, as mentioned in episode five, uh, <laughs> these included the Manhattan and the Old Fashioned, and as well as the Sazerac. And they all used rye as their base alcohol and were incredibly popular. So, this emphasis on cocktails and mixed drinks carried straight through to the 1900s and solidified rye as the king of American. American whiskeys. But then tragedy struck. In the form of, of course, the old whiskey bugaboo, Prohibition. How the fuck did they think Prohibition was going to work? Like, I just can't even imagine the whole country getting together being like, okay, we're going to ban alcohol for the whole country. It would be like the country getting together and electing like a reality star. Well, yeah. Never mind. That, never mind, never mind. that I, couldn't that happen. That would never happen. That would never happen. So anyway, get back to Prohibition. It really is one of the most fascinating times in history. It's retarded. I went to a exhibition at the National Constitution Center, which is right across the street from where I work. And it really was fascinating how it all came to be. And right. we're going to do some episodes in the new year about Prohibition because there's whiskeys that go with it and there's a lot of story there. It's a lot of history. Anyway, so the fall of rye whiskey happened because Prohibition decimated the whiskey industry in America. But rye in particular, because the grain and the whiskey derived from it were more expensive and intensive to produce than the whiskey made from corn because the federal government had just recently subsidized it, causing distillers, once Prohibition ended, to favor making bourbon more than rye. The government subsidized growing corn. Yeah. Oh. And when the rye was made, distillers would cut corners and it began gaining a bad reputation as something drank by vagrants and later by broke college students. Also not helping? The Canadian whiskey being distilled and imported at the time had much lower standards about what could be actually called a rye whiskey. And so it was during and after the World Wars, Americans started drinking less and less whiskey in general. Then a certain British secret agent led them even further toward more vodka and gin until by the 1980s, rye was merely the drink of Don McLean's sad aging alcoholics. Oh, my God. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove the Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. There's an edit. (laughs) 
However, since 2009, the volume of rye being distilled throughout the world is up more than 500%, outpacing the growth of other types of whiskeys. Well, it had a lot of way to grow, right? Yes. Big brands like Jack Daniels and Jim Beam have noticed and launched their own rye expressions, while Wild Turkeys was so popular they nearly ran out. Buffalo Trace provided the rye that made the Sazerac famous in the 1800s and has relaunched their brand. Craft distillers are no different. Mount Vernon's distilling operation, as we mentioned in episode 8, making rye whiskeys from George Washington's original recipes, which were so fucking expensive yeah, we couldn't even we're believe not it. repeating it again. No. Uh, MGP in Indiana has several rye recipes at the ready, uh, one of which is Bullet Rye, of course. Uh, and new distilleries like Maryland Sagamore Spirit and Utah's High West, which we're going to talk about in a second, are creating some excellent rye whiskeys as well. So rye is now where bourbon was about a decade ago. So it's not inconceivable that a decade from now we'll see rye reclaiming the top spot as the first true American spirit. Wow. That's going to sound so good when you edit that. (laughs) So we're talking about High West, and I have to tell you, they get a lot of their product blended from MGP from what I've heard. I'm not really sure what they do themselves. Scott's about to really tell me about the distillery that I don't really know anything about. It's really cool. They blend almost everything. Almost all their stuff are blends. And I do like blends. In fact, even when I drink wines, I like uh, Meritages and Zinfandels. It's sure. my favorite wine. Uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with a blend. Uh, it's really... Right. Like, what you blend. Exactly. So the double rye, which we should pour some. Uh, well, I have some. it. Oh, do you? I'm waiting for you. Oh, that sounds amazing. Mm. The High West has really... It's a little bit lighter in color than the Willet, but not much. Not much, not no. Much. It's a very nice looking uh, spirit. Uh, it's 92 proof. It's a blend of two straight rye whiskeys aged two to seven years. The first is a 95% rye, 5% malted barley from MGP, which is exactly the same one as bullet rye. And the second rye that they have in there is the 80% rye, 20% malted rye that High West distills themselves. What? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So they wanted to make this the spiciest rye that they possibly could. That's why they're using the 95.5 rye from MGP and their own 80-20 malted rye, which I'd never even heard of. So we're going to nose it. Oh, interesting. I smell a little bit of that vinyl smell that I sometimes get with like rye. Yep. It has a little bit of a um, similar smell to uh, Redemption Rye. Yeah. I could have Redemption Rye in the glass by what it smells like. Now, not the it, taste. It almost smells like when you walk into Lowe's. <laughs> I did not get that at all, but I love I love the analogy. <laughs> That's what it smells like. It smells like sort of like a, just a hodgepodge of lumber and uh, chemicals and light bulbs. <laughs> Okay. So what, what do you get on the nose? Like, do you get anything specific? Too late, I drank it. Holy crap, you did. Um, wow. Ooh, that's spicy. Ooh, wow. That is fucking spicy as fuck. Wow. Like, yeah. They achieved their goal of getting the spiciest uh, rye ever. This is extraordinarily puncher-in-the-nose spicy. Yeah. So what are you tasting in this? I have to tell you, it's hard because so peppery, so spicy. I don't get a lot of what would be traditional, you know, bourbon notes. Like a, like no. not vanilla, not corn. No, you're not going to get that from this. Given the mash bill, mm-hmm. there's no corn in it at all. Right. Uh, there's only rye and a tiny bit. Of malted barley. Do you know what the percentage is? We don't know, actually, the percentage of how much of one rye versus the other. And they actually say it's proprietary and we're not saying. I will say this. It hits you in the mouth with pepper. But once you swallow, the aftertaste is kind of sweet. Let me do it one more time. I mean, it's sweet at the very, very beginning. 
before yep. it, before it hits you. No, but once I swallow, it's very sweet in my mouth. You know what that smell is that I was saying that was the that when you go into Lowe's? Mm-hmm. It's clove. Mm. That's what it is. So on the nose, they're saying mint, clove, cinnamon, licorice root, pine nuts, and dark chocolate. The taste, rye spices up front, then menthol, mint, eucalyptus, herbal tea with wildflower honey and allspice. Okay. Well, I'm saying sweet. I'm tasting like almost like a Sambuca aftertaste in a Ooh. weird way. Now the finish is cinnamon and mint gradually sweetening through right. the finish with a hint of anise. <laughs> and that is what you're tasting. Yeah, and this is like kind of a licorice in a way. That of, is. Right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, I love when my mouth is on some anise. I can't get enough <laughs> anise, you know? Sometimes you just want some, you know, oh, some anise on your lips. <laughs> yeah. Or your lips on some anise, one or the other. Why not? Okay, so some background on the High West Distillery. It was founded in 2006 by a man named David Perkins and his wife, Jane. That's like yesterday. What, 2006? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, like- Yeah, this is- This is not one that's like uh, steeped in tradition from the 1880s. 2006, David Perkins, he was a former biochemist, and he was inspired to open his own distillery after seeing the parallels between the fermentation and distilling process and his own work in biochemistry during a trip he made to the Maker's Mark Distillery in Loretto, Kentucky. Wow. So he went to Kentucky and went, holy shit, this is what I do, but with a different thing, I'm going to go back to Utah and make whiskey. So his family relocated to Park City in Utah to begin their new venture where they began distilling with the motto to make delicious whiskey to share our love of whiskey with our customers and to celebrate our home the west they chose park city because of david's love of the old west and utah's little known whiskey history which i looked up and to me was only really interesting except for one little anecdote which i'll mention later because of the hypocrisy of mormons who aren't supposed to drink owning and operating distilleries in the early to mid 1800s so high west began with a small 250 gallon still and a saloon in an old livery stable and garage in downtown park city but has since grown to be an internationally recognized brand with three more locations, a distillery in Wanship, Utah, Nelson Cottage Restaurant in Park City, and a saloon in the Salt Lake City Airport. In 2016, Whiskey Advocate Magazine named High West Distiller of the Year. And I think that's basically the year I noticed him, and I think I'm all in on that. Yeah, agreed. High West is also dedicated to preserving and promoting the American West, donating 10% of after-tax profits to the American Prairie Reserve in northeastern Montana, whose mission is to assemble the largest wildlife preserve in the lower 48 states. When complete, the reserve will be 5,000 square miles, which is larger than Yellowstone, Yosemite, and Grand Teton National Parks combined. Dave, that's an amazing goal, and and I applaud you and your company for what you do. I like how you're just talking directly to Dave, well, listen, as if he's listening to our podcast. Well, because he should listen to it, because we love your product. And the reality is, it is an amazing part of the country that not a lot of people get to see. Montana, Wyoming, the northern part of Utah are all really beautiful. Yeah, I've been to Salt Lake, actually. I had a layover at a flight going to San Diego. The pretty uh, mountains. I've never been to Utah, but I've been to Arizona. I've seen the Grand Canyon, and I never made the northern trip. I want to go to Montana. I want to go to the Little Bighorn Battlefield, which I've always wanted to see because I've studied it my whole life. Right. I've been uh, obsessed with Montana since like the sixth grade because you had to pick a state and do it like a book report on it, and I've never uh, been. Well, tune in two years from now when we get a Winnebago and we go on our Montana tour. <laughs> We take the podcast on the road. By the way, High West, if you could fund that on the road podcast for me and Scott, we'll need about a quarter million dollars to do that. A quarter of a million dollars? Yeah. Well, that's actually just barely going to do it because, Is I it? mean, 
Because well, how long are we going to be gone? At least six months, I would think. Okay. So All they right. got to pay our salary for six months. And, right. you know, both of us are professional Americans. We're also professional whiskey drinkers. Right. Whiskey. So we're actually going to have to hire a driver because who the fuck's driving the Winnebago while we're drinking whiskey in the back of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not driving. No, fuck that. So tell us about the other brands that they have besides the Double Rye because High West, I mean, God, they really try to do some great things and I've enjoyed some of their stuff and I've loved some of their stuff. Uh, it's pretty amazing because they do blend almost everything that they have. So first is the American Prairie Bourbon, which is a 92 proof blend of two straight bourbon whiskeys aged two to 13 years. And this is their basic brand, okay? It's about 30 something dollars a bottle. Now, <laughs> the dive bar near my house... Which isn't really a dive bar, but the owner doesn't really take care of things. <laughs> is that Dempster's? No, it's, it's Ots, Mount Holly. Oh, Ots. Oh, Ots. Ots, Mount Holly is a train wreck. Um, <laughs> Not to be confused with train wreck distillery in right. Mount Holly. Right. There actually is a train wreck distillery in Mount Holly, which is inventive and fun and great. So it's not a train wreck. No, this is yeah. Ots. It's a kind of like a mini franchise. There's tons of great Ots out there. Yeah. Del Ran Ots and Medford Ots is fun. They have great bands. And then there's Mount Holly Ots, which is a great building. It's got an upstairs deck and a drunk loser owner. I used to go there for Taco Tuesday, Scott. It was a dollar tacos and the tacos were delicious, mm. but you couldn't find a fucking beer. He has all these taps and you ask, oh, can I have a, this beer? And like, oh, it's no, we don't have that beer. It's tapped out. Well, what about that beer? No, we don't have that either. Either. It's like, well, then why the fuck? Like, what are you doing? And you're a bar. But then, oh, Jesus. But then, uh oh, their American Prairie Bourbon was five dollars a glass. Wow. And I was five like, what? Dollars a glass. It was delicious. Five dollars on the rocks, and they poured it like I was their dad. Yeah. It seems like Otsman Holly, the Courtney Love of yeah. a boss. Hi, what's your name? I really like you. You're really fun. Do you want some American Prairie <laughs> Bourbon for five dollars? Are you the only person that hasn't seen my vagina? Uh, look. Uh, look. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'd like it to go out of business and it will soon be the Whiskey Tangent Lounge in about two years. All right, we'll do that. Okay, so second is uh, Rendezvous Rye, which is also a 92 proof blend of two straight rye whiskeys aged four to seven years, which is the same as double rye, but the double rye says it's two to seven. So basically, Rendezvous Rye is the same thing, just aged <laughs> a little longer. And you might be asking yourself, well, why didn't you guys do Rendezvous Rye? Well, Rendez Rendezvous... Rendezvous... <laughs> I thought that I'm drunk. I just can't say the word. Yeah. Rendezvous rye is about, what, $58 a bottle or something? It's like in the 60s. So we said, let's see, we could do the double rye for like 35 yeah, I got it for thirty two ninety nine. That's very cheap. It's yeah. usually about thirty five. Yeah. Or we can do the rendezvous rye for like <laughs> 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 rendezvous it's been a long night folks yeah rendezvous rye for 60 bucks right so we're like let's do the other one and by the way the double rye is delicious so then the campfire which is next on our list to talk about so it's a 92 proof blend of bourbon rye and peated scotch aged four to eight years scotch is the smallest amount but it adds a smokiness it's like a smoked bourbon it's not my cup of tea but yet i can see why people would like it um so then those are their main expressions the double rye the american prairie bourbon the rendezvous rye and the campfire but they have some limited expressions as well so they have something called yippee kaye 92 proof blend of three straight rye whiskeys they have something called the boo rye which is 92 proof blend of two straight bourbons and one straight rye right. aged at least 10 years and then there's midwinter night's dram 
a 98.6 proof blend of four straight rye whiskeys finished in port and French oak barrels. Scott and I talked about the first time we had this, which was down in Atlantic City at the Iron Room. Yes. Where we asked a guy to give us something, you know, different. He just reached back and he pulled out the Midwinter's Night Tram. And there wasn't enough in the bottle to actually right. charge us for a drink. So we poured whatever was in a cup and gave to us for free. We might have had a half an ounce each or a little yeah. bit more maybe. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so we got to taste it and it was so, so good. If we could get our hands on a bottle of this, we would absolutely do an episode of right. it. Right. And that's a good thing to point out. From what I understand from the restaurants and the bar owners that I've talked to, they can order it. If you order enough High West products throughout the year, Dave Perkins will send you a bottle. Personally. Of- he per- will deliver it to you. <laughs> right. Now, after it- this, I've never seen the rest. They have something called, I thought this was really interesting, 36th Vote Barreled Manhattan, which is a 74-proof straight rye whiskey, vermouth, and bitters that's mixed and then finished again in the rye whiskey barrel for 90 to 120 days. Wow. So the reason this is called 36th vote is because Utah was oh, the no. 36th and deciding vote to repeal prohibition. Well, hey, thank you, Utah, then. And then something called Silver Whiskey Western Oat, which is an unaged 80-proof whiskey made from 85% oats and 15% malted barley. Wow, that's strange. Oats, yeah. huh? They have something called a 7,000-foot vodka, 80-proof, also distilled from oat and barley. Probably the same ew. beginning. Thing ooh, but I mean, it's, I haven't tried it. I'm just, you know, it's probably tasteless like all vodkas are. Seriously. Yeah. Public Jesus. service announcement. For all you youngins out there, millennials love the Whiskey Tangent podcast. <laughs> Do they? They love it. Let me give you a little 401 for you. When Scott and I were 26, 27 years old. We lads. Stolich Naya Vodka was the top vodka in America. And when you went out on the town in New York City in 1986 or 1990, you would get a Stoli Martini. Now, you have all the Scandinavian vodka now, like Grey Goose and um, Belvedere. Grey Goose is French. Right, but where's, Bel- where's Belvedere from? I don't know. Where uh, Grey, Grey Goose is French, but the bottom line is there, there's like <laughs> there's all these vodkas now that are supposed to be better. You know, Solstein, you can get a half gallon for Solstein for about 30 bucks. Okay. What about Chirac? Have you had that? It has a little bit of flavor compared to some vodkas. But my point is this, everybody. For like under $35, you can get a half gallon of Stolichnaya, where Grey Goose is coming in in the 50s. And Tito's is good, too. If you like Tito's, roll with that. But if you want to try something different, Stolichnaya. Are you saying that Stolichnaya is the bullet rye of vodkas? I think that's what you're saying. Or the Eagle Rare. You you pick. All right. Pull up Riker.com and tell me what the top 10 vodkas are. Ooh, yeah. Let's do that. I don't know how we got on a vodka tangent. Welcome to the vodka tangent podcast i'm sven (laughs) and i am igor (laughs) all right top 10 vodkas number 10 sky with two y's is number 10 number 10 yes number nine smirnov great mixing vodka you can't go wrong if you're mixing you can hate on it but if you're putting cranberry in who the fuck cares number eight chirac yes Shout out to Scott. Yeah. Number seven, Russian Standard, whatever the fuck that is. Yeah, it's really a boring bottle, but it's from Russia, and it's actually very good. It should be higher. Number six, Stolichnaya. Should be way higher, but it's fine. Number five, Absolute. It's a good vodka. Number four, Kettle One. Sucks. Number three, Grey Goose. Wow, number three. That's amazing. The public is like, fuck your expensive prices. We'll find something else to drink. And what are the two they found? Number two, Belvedere. Ah, fuck Belvedere. Number one, Tito's.
Tito's number one America homemade vodka. Amazing. The bottom line is this. Tito's is so much cheaper than Grey Goose. People are like, fuck it. Because almost everybody mixes their vodka. If you're drinking a martini and you want to do a Grey Goose, that's fine. But I'm telling you right now, Stoli's fucking good. Give it a shot. Buy it for a fifth if you're not sure. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up now. It's been way too long. I don't even know if we had a real straight tangent, but we, we had a lot of tangents. We didn't. We had a lot of fun on this one, though. We have a bottle and a half to finish, so we're going to just drink these off air. <laughs> Later. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to check out our next episode, which is way better than this one. Oh, yeah. Also, follow and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash whiskey tangent and follow us on Twitter at whiskey tangent. You can follow me personally at that whiskey guy and follow Scott at giant cup of awesome spelled A-W-S-U-M just to be annoying. Hey. You can email us any questions, comments, or love at whiskeytangent at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us always at our podcast website, whiskeytangent.podbean.com.